Ezekiel 37, and there's quite a few scriptures, but we'll get through it. All right, and the Bible says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I'm going to be preaching on the subject today, the rattle of an awakening. The rattle of an awakening. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are able to come into this place and gather together in one mind and in one accord and lift you up. God, I pray that you would just be upon each and every person, that their ears would hear the word that is about to be proclaimed. God, that you would be with me, that I would minister the word that you gave me in the way that you want me to proclaim it. And God, let me get none of the glory. Let me get none of the praise. But God, it is all for you working through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Holler at the people around you and say, things are about to wake up. Come on, holler at somebody. Y'all like to talk, I know you do. Say, things are about to wake up. Holler at somebody else and say, there's about to be some rattling. There's about to be some rattling. Come on. We start our text with Ezekiel being caught up in the spirit and carried to a valley filled with dry bones. And he's asked of him, son of man, can these bones live? Now, I don't know Ezekiel, don't know him personally, never met him. He lived a few years before I did. I know I'm old, but, you know, let's get it together here. Um, Never met the guy, don't know his demeanor, don't know anything about him. But when he's asked this question, son of man, can these bones live? And the answer he gives God is like, God, you know. And I feel like he, like, played it safe. I feel like he copped out on his answers that he probably should have given. Just think about, he's a prophet of God. He's Ezekiel. And God asks him a question, and he basically says, well, you know. I don't know, but like if me, if I asked somebody that knew I could do something, like, hey, can I play the piano? And they go, well, only you know. Like, what? You know I can do that. Why are you saying, well, only you know? Like, that's kind of like, I asked Amanda, like, what would, like, what would you think if someone said to me, she's like, well, that'd be a challenge to me. I'm like, of course it would be for you. Like, you wouldn't take offense, you'd be like, challenge accepted. But I look at how Ezekiel answered this, 
and it bothered me. And then I began to think, well, are there areas in my life where God has asked me a question and I played it safe? That the followers of Christ, people who proclaim to be followers of Christ, who pray all the time, read this, all the spiritual books that have ever been published, and talk about having faith, but yet when God wants to do something in their life, they respond to things in just like a safe manner. They know that God can and God has, but they never stepped out across that line and say, I believe God will do. It's just a safe zone. And it's like, yeah, I get it that it's scary that you want to proclaim things, but playing it safe. Um, Scott, one time we were playing disc golf. And by the way, me, Garrett, and uh, Joe went to play disc golf yesterday. And me and Garrett tied, so we're going to have to have a throw off. Uh, but, Scott, I'm not going to tell you the score uh, because you would yell at me. Um, like, whatever you think I did, just it's, it was worse. Um, so, because I know he's going to make fun of me after service. He's, like, he's going to come like, yo, really, what'd you score? What was it? You got to tell me. You got to tell me. Um, but anyways, um, like, and he told me, like, playing it safe, he goes, when you get up to the basket, he's like, yeah, you always get it up there, but you'll never get it in. And he told me, he's like, you got to go for it sometimes. Because like if you never go for it, you're never going to win. You're never going to make it. Somebody's always going to come out and outdo you. Somebody's always going to be better. Because if you play it safe and don't do it, then God will give it to somebody else who will do it. And in James 2.14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? It goes on in verse 17 to say, So also by itself, if does not have... Also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I begin to really think about that. And, you know, people are like, well, the Bible says that you just got to have faith with grain and mustard seed. That's all you got to do. You just got to have that faith. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You do got to have faith. And it's pretty plain. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. But then it goes on and says, and you will say to the mountain, be moved. ESV says you will say. King James Version says you shall say. CSV Version says you will tell. And so I started looking at was, okay, Scripture says faith without works is dead. Faith like grain mustard seed and you will say. So what I've kind of picked it up is that faith plus action equals something living coming out of you. That faith needs to be applied. So people, I hear them all the time that, um, I'm just praying my child gets saved. I'm hoping, my, I'm hoping for a move in my finances. I'm, I'm just wanting my marriage to be put back together. I'm just, I'm just even though my loved ones, you know, they're still on drugs, I'm just happy that they're alive. And that is true. And those are things to hope for. But I hear that all the time that like, you know, just it's like these, I'm, I'm just trying to go, I'm trying to go. I went to a church one time that I was at regularly and I was playing. I was in the middle of like worship, and then they would stop and they would have testimonies. Like people, does anybody have a word on their heart? They want to share God. And people would get up, and this is a true story, y'all. And I was like, and I would just sit there and be like, what is going on? Somebody would stand up and be like, well, brother, I'm just glad to be here. It's been a week for me. I was barely able to make it through the doors. Satan's been on me all day long and all week. I'm just glad to be here. And they'd go, praise God. Anybody else have a word or testimony? 
Somebody else was stand up. Brother, you know, it's just been a year for us in the church, and we're just barely struggling and just wanting to, wanting to see a move of God. And I'm sitting there going, no wonder nobody's here. Like, if this is called testifying about a move of God and what God is doing in your life, it's not. It's a beat-up session about how you've been beat up all week and how there's been bullies and everybody else has been, like, working against you. Like, this is, this is not what I read in the Bible. The Bible says you're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, not the sorrows of your testimony. Like, let's go. Let's get up there and be like, you know what? It's been a week, but God brought me into this place today. It's been a week, but guess what? I am overcoming. I am making it. I am better than I was yesterday, and I'm going to be better tomorrow than I was today. Like, let's get some faith going in the place. Instead of saying, you know, um, I hope my kid gets saved. Why don't you reserve a seat and say, sorry, this seat's taken because my child's going to be here one day, and this is their seat that they're going to be at. This is where they're going to be. Instead of saying, you know, like, you know, my finances, I just hope to get them saved. By the end of the year, my finances are going to be in such an order, Dave Ramsey's going to come to me for advice. Just start saying things. Start speaking that faith. Depression, you are leaving. Addiction, you are being broke. My marriage is restored. My family is a family that is alive and burning with the passions of God. It's time that we take our hand to the plow, start doing something instead of just sitting on the sidelines, holding out for the rapture and just praying it comes quickly. Start declaring the word of the Lord in our life. Start speaking the faith. And that's about this text about what Ezekiel does. He speaks faith. And I'll get to that, and I'll show you exactly what I mean. But I'm going to take a little side point here. So God tells Ezekiel to prophesy in the Scripture. He takes him to the Valley of the Bones. He walks around it, and he's looking. And then he gives that answer, and then God's like, okay, now prophesy. And the word prophesy comes from the Hebrew word naba, which means to speak or declare out of inspiration. I really began to think about that word prophesy, and as I was doing some research, um, I began to think that the word prophesy in the church is all the time misconstrued and confused with the word prophecy. Prophesy to speak or declare of inspiration. Prophecy is to predict with assurance or on the basis of mystic knowledge. Ezekiel in the scripture is not giving a prophecy to the bones. He's prophesying. So what a lot of times happens is we get prophecy and prophesy mixed up. We think that, oh, prophesy, we need a where, you know, we need to come to church and pastor needs to walk up and for, yea, thou hast, I've seen thee in thy bedroom, I've seen thy tears that have been upon thy pillow, and I shall bring everything into fruition. We need to stop coming and looking to get a prophecy. Stop trying to come and get a word from the Lord and start getting into the word of the Lord. Like he's given us everything that we need in this Bible. But we, all the time we're coming and looking to other people to give us something that is uh, supernatural, something that is prophetic, something that we need to hang on to. And God's like, I've given it to you. If you would just open up, flip through the pages, and actually just begin to read my word and just begin to read it. There's so many times that I've been reading and going through uh, 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 verses and 
like whatever I'm reading has nothing to do with, you know, any situation, but then all of a sudden will stick out to me. Because I know some people will do this thing, they'll go, okay, and if I just do that my entire life, this is the verse that I would have picked. Oh my gosh, it's in Ezekiel. Um, so you, son of man, I have a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. Oh my gosh, it actually does work. Never mind, flipping on. Well, that point then fell to the wayside. All right. God has a sense of humor, y'all. I promise he does. But we are constantly wanting a prophetic word when we just need to get into the word of God. And there's this thing that starts about like when you take the word of God and just begin to apply it to your life and just begin to apply it and begin to apply it, there's actually this, something begins to shift. And I'm getting to like the faith part of this. But there's actually a a scientific marvel that scientists have. And it's called the law of attraction. And basically the law of attraction is the idea that people can improve their health, wealth, situations, and even personal relationships by simply speaking things over and over again out loud. They say that what they believe, the, science, the scientific community now, is that it releases a pure energy out of you. And that pure energy somehow begins to shift and improve things And they say, like, it can't be scientifically explained, but it's called a spiritual movement. It's not a spiritual movement. It's faith coming into works and starts producing life into the situations that you're praying for. Jesus says, out of your heart shall flow rivers of living water. It's moving, it's pushing, it's pressing, it's going. It's something that when you read it and you start applying it to your life, it begins to produce something. And you say it over and over and over again. And which is, brings me to this, and that is exactly what Ezekiel does. But notice, Ezekiel, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Ezekiel is a living, breathing person. And he is brought to this valley. Okay, so we need to have stuff applied to our life, living, coming out of us. So God brings Ezekiel, who's a living, breathing person, to this valley of dry bones. Because here's something. Okay, go, Joe, go ahead and throw that emoji up. Okay? This is about to be you all here in a minute. About to be this guy right here. I promise you. When I drop this word, we can leave right now, go watch the Rams win the Super Bowl, and we'll have a great Sunday. Okay? Just throwing that out there. Okay? You ready? Hold on. Get ready. Okay? Dead people can't revive dead people. Let it sink in. Wait for it. Okay? All right? Just, okay. On your way home, people, some people are like, oh my gosh, that was so deep. Did you get that? If you want to sound smart this week and like, like a deep thinker, I promise you, if you're at the queue or you're at Spencer's getting your coffee, um, or you know, you're wherever you're at your work, just look at somebody and go, yo, you know what I, I was thinking about the other day? Yeah, get ready for this. Dead people can't revive dead people. And then like, yeah, think on that, and then just walk away. Promise you they'll avoid you the rest of your life. Um, but think of, but really think about that. When somebody calls 911, Herman Monster and Grandpa don't show up in the ambulance. Also, does anybody know who Herman Monster and Grandpa are? 
Come on, come on. Okay, there we go. Come on, the monsters. Love that show. But really think about that. Living, breathing people come to your house to revive you. And what I'm trying to really point, make the point I'm trying to make here is that if God is not alive, moving, and working in your life, then you're not going to be arrive, not going to be able to revive anybody spiritually. You're not going to be able to do it. If it ain't in you, you're not going to be able to give it. Which, like, to really think about what you need to do there to make it there, you cannot just come to church on Sunday and expect God to be alive in you. I was uh, reading a podcast one time, and they said that there are 168 hours in a week, and that most people attend church, come to their, you know, their service, or whatever, for a max, that's like social socializing the service and socializing after, for around two hours on Sunday. So that's about 166 hours that they are not in a church building. And my question for you is, if I saw my wife two hours a week, I will not know my wife. I won't know how her day went. I won't know the things that she's thinking. I won't ever get to know her. We'll never have intimacy. We'll never get to have quality time. We'll never get to go do, th- do anything. We'll never get to make stories. We'll never get to um, do anything together. She might enjoy it, but you're right. But there, there isn't, there's no relationship there. And that is what produces getting in God's word and setting aside that time throughout the week that says, God, this is my time with you that is going to produce a relationship with him. Because here's the thing, Matthew 7.23 says this, And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that scripture before that says, But I cast out devils in your name. I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name. I did this in your name. But he says, I never knew you. And that know that word new is actually the form of intimacy as like a husband and wife would know each other. It's a form of intimacy. And there's people all the time that think, oh, I've got it, you know, like this, this is it. I go to church on Sundays. I, I do this. I got like this going on. But yet throughout the week, they never have that any type of quality time with Jesus. They never get to know him. They, they never get to get lost in his love and get lost in his presence. But yet they think I'm good and I'm going to heaven and it's going to be great. And the whole point around this is, is there's be weeping and gnashing of teeth because there's going to be a rude awakening that says, no, I, I didn't know you. I never had that with you. You can't take the word of God and try to conform it to your lifestyle and make it work. You have to take your lifestyle and conform it to the word of God, and that's where it's at. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Hearing through the word of God, I believe, produces that faith that we talk about. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. The work produces faith in, in life. It all comes by taking the word of God and applying it to your life. And that's what Ezekiel does here. And that's what I'm getting to with the faith. Ezekiel has faith upon hearing the word of God to speak the word of God, which is the life flowing out of him. And when it does, things started to happen around him. The Lord said, prophesy, 
my word, and he did. The things that started to happen around him, the Bible says that there began to be a sound and bones began to rattle. A rattle is defined as to rapidly make short, sharp, knocking sounds, typically by striking against a hard surface or object repeatedly. Now, normally when I would see this, I would think um, like a, a rattlesnake or like a baby's rattle. Um, but what I kind of looked at that and I kind of had a different flip on that. It says by sharp, short, sharp, knocking sounds, by striking against a hard surface object repeatedly. And what I heard when I was reading this was not the sound of a rattling, per se, of a rattlesnake or a sound of a baby's rattle or any other type of rattling. What I begin to hear is that when the church comes alive, really alive, and begins to declare the word of the Lord, declare what he is saying, that, that things will start to happen around them. And that those who are sitting on the sidelines that may be spiritually dead, that there will be a rattle. There's a rattle. It's not the rattle in the sense that you think of, but it's God saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock at a hard surface, repeatedly, constantly, at the hearts of those who are around us. That when the church becomes alive and prophesying, that there's a sound of a rattling that will hit the community. That is God knocking on the hearts of the lost. God knocking on those who are astray. God knocking, saying, Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. There's a sound of a rattling. And then it says that the bones came together. And I love that. They became together. And it says, like, and said, sinews, I believe that's how it's pronounced, came upon them. And basically, the sinews are basically like the tendons. And the tendon is to keep things like your muscles and everything connected to your bones and keep it all, like, all connected and everything. Um... Great terminology, medical terminology, Scott. You know, you know. If you never need to take a test again, I got you, bro. Um, but I begin to look at that sinews, and they came upon them after they came together. After the church came together, because they were in one mind and one accord. Then there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind that said they filled the house. After they came together. And when I look, I think it's time that, like, the church, we come together and quit bickering and quit arguing about if it's this or if it's that or you need this or you need that. It's time that we start speaking what we're supposed to and stop saying what we're not supposed to. Because, listen, have you ever seen the, word Encanto, the movie Encanto? Great. Yeah. Okay. You know the family? Stop talking about things that we don't need to talk about, okay? We don't have a Bruno. Because we don't talk about Bruno, no. Come on, nobody? Beth, where you at? Come on. Come on. Now, Beth likes the pressure like a dip, dip, dip. That's Beth. That's that's Beth's one. But quit talking about things that don't matter. Start talking about the things that will give people what they need. Start talking about things that would give them what, what, they, what, they're, what they're hungry for. There was a, a podcast between John Bevere and um, Craig Rochelle that I was listening to. He said there's a, he says that there's, the church is saying that there's a problem 
within this upcoming um, generation that they're starting to challenge the things of the church. And John B. Rasmussen says, are you concerned? He says, no. He says, I want them to challenge. I want them to come and say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is, what, this is what's going through my mind. He goes, because sometimes they need to challenge it. He said, Jesus came and said, you have heard, but I say. And it's time that we stop letting a religious spirit, and I don't even know where I'm at in my notes right now, um, but I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. I have no idea. But it's time that we stop allowing this spirit, uh, this spirit of religion to say that this is the way it's got to be, this is the way that's got to be, and start saying that, no, but this is what Jesus says, that you're right, that it's not supposed to be that way, that you're right, that you are supposed to honor your authority no matter what they say or what they're supposed to be, what they're saying upon you, that you are supposed to live a generosity, out of generosity, that you are supposed to be doing these things, you are supposed to be doing things, and stop saying, well, no, you're not doing that, no, we can't do that, and that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and Jesus says, no, that is the way that it is supposed to be. Start declaring, start coming together as one body. And I'm going to try to find my spot real quick. And what we look at is, I believe that the sinews here was a representation of Christ. As he holds it all together. That when the church came together, then the sinews came, and I believe that is Christ coming upon the church. That's Christ starting to infiltrate the church. And I'm all about like the cool graphics, the cool designs, the cool sounds, the cool lights. I'm all for it. I'm the operations pastor. That's my job. But that's not what gets people in the door. That's not what draws people to repentance and to salvation. It's Christ. And if we take Christ out of the church, we might as well pack it all up and go home. We might as well start a pregame in the day somewhere, somewhere. It's for nothing. But Christ has to be the center. Come together. And the last thing that you know, we, he, he tells them to do is after they've, the flesh has come upon them, he's prophesied, he's declared the word of the Lord, they've come together, they're just laying there. He says, I prophesy to the wind. And the breath and breath will come upon them. The word breath used here is the Hebrew for ruah, which means breath or wind of God. In so many places, we have everything that we could ever need, the numbers, the music, the small groups, the finances. But do we have the Ruah of God? Is the breath of God in our lives, is the breath of God in our churches? And you can have it all together. You can have everything you need. But if the breath is not in you, you're not alive. You have to have the breath of God in you. And I just begin to pray that as we go out, they will say, breath of God, come in me. Breath of God, come to your, come to your people. Breathe on my children. 
Breathe in my marriage. (laughs) Breathe in my workplace. Breathe in my family. Breathe in my neighbors. God, breathe in the White House. Breathe in City Hall. Breathe into the drug houses, the recovery houses, the rehab facilities. Breathe into Planned Parenthood and shut it down. Let them say, we're closing our doors. We're not going through with this. Breathe into our police officers in the jails and our first responders in our hospitals. Breathe in this nation. God, wake up our nation. They're asleep. They don't know, but God, breathe and wake us up and let us stand up on our feet. The thing that really stuck out to me about this scripture And this is the whole thing I'm driving home. Is that Ezekiel was brought to this valley. He walks among the bones. He prophesies. They come together. The breath of God hits into him. But the most important thing that I believe or one of the most important things about this scripture is it says it's a valley filled with dry bones. They're not just bones. Bones, if I was to read that, if the scripture said it was a valley filled with just bones, I believe Ezekiel would have walked up and he would have saw, saw things decaying. He would have saw vultures picking the flesh off, insects all over, coyotes running off, with, with the bones, with, with everything. But the scripture says it was a valley filled with dry bones. There was nothing left on them. There was no flesh. No more tendons. No more muscles. No more arteries. Nothing. It's okay, I'll sweep this up later. They were dry. Falling apart. See, the thing about dry bones, nothing wants it. Not even things that feed on dead things want dry bones. They're done with them. They're discarded. I found this in the woods in Tennessee. And this is a cow skull. And where I found it, there wasn't cows anywhere around. But something came, got what it wanted from it, and then just tossed it. Now, I'm not going to toss it because I'm going to hang this up one day and I don't want to break it. But there was nothing left on it. And so many times people say, that's a hopeless situation. They'll... They're always going to be that way. My marriage is always going to be like this. It's always like this. I don't understand like how, how they even got to that point. I don't understand how the nation got to this mess. But God brought Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones that nothing wanted anymore to show him that it doesn't matter the state. It doesn't matter how long they've been there. I can still do something. 
I can still work in it. It doesn't matter how desolate the space is. It doesn't matter how desolate the situation. It doesn't matter how hopeless, how far gone. It doesn't matter how many DUIs. It doesn't how many possession charges. It doesn't matter how many times they've been in and out of jail, how many times they've overdosed, how many times they've given up, how many times they've relapsed, how many times they said, I'm going to come, but they never show up. It doesn't matter how many times you've asked, they said, I'll all be there and they don't show up. It doesn't matter because God says, I can still do something out of nothing, even when there's no life source left in it. I am God. And this brings me to my last point. That the whole point of this, this story, this event, is something that I find just so amazing. And we see it in verse 6. Joe, if you could put that up for me. It says, And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will cause flesh to come upon I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall live. Know that I am the Lord. One of the age-old questions I get all the time is why. And a lot of times it is sin-based. The reason we have disease, the reason we have death, the reason we have discord, dishonor, is sin-based. When Adam sinned, Thorns, thistles, death, disease, entered. But a lot of times, God takes those situations that are sin-based that are a result. And he says, I'm going to get you to the place where you feel hopeless, where you feel lost, where you feel like you don't matter, where you feel like it's all over. For one reason and one reason only, so that when I step on this scene, you'll know I am Lord. I'll get you to the place where it's only me and me alone that can turn the situation around. Some people say, how did that happen? How did, how did things turn around? You'll say, it was only by the grace of God. It was only by the Lord. It was only God that got me through that. It was only God that got me through that situation. I think about those times when I was driving home drunk, and I don't even remember, and I would wake up the next morning, and I would just, and my keys would be where I normally put them, and my phone would be normally where I put it and plugged in, and everything would be ready to go, and I'm like, I don't even know how I got there. So God, because of the Lord, because he wanted me to know who I am, that I was the one that protected you. I was the one that shielded you. I was the one that kept you in the palm of my hand when you should have hit that, that car and, and, and died and you, should have, and you should have flipped that truck. I can look back to think, guys, I'm just going to be transparent. I wrecked three cars when I was drinking. Total two of them. Because I would get to the state to where when I would drink, it wasn't just two or three or four. It was ten, twelve. Me and my friends would go bar hopping. All, and we'd probably go to about four or five bars, sometimes even six. And I would have a bucket at each place and drive. It is only by the grace of God that I did not kill somebody or kill myself. 
And I remember the last time that I got arrested and I found myself in the Kenton County Jail walking out and my mom had to come pick me up. And I looked there and said, why won't he leave me alone? I want him to leave me alone. I want to do the things that I want to do. I want to go my own way. But she says, she said, baby, because God has a call on your life. And when I dedicated you to God as a baby, he's not going to let you go. He's going to show you who he is. And I laid in the passenger seat and said, I don't want it. I don't want to be there. But two weeks I walked into a young adult service led by Pastor Andrew Butler. A month later I was put onto his staff as the music director and then he looked at me and said I'm going to start a church in Bowling Green, Kentucky and I just wanted to let you know and then God put the call on my on my, on my life and then God put the call on my wife's life and we met and we got married and I look at what, how God moved and how God formed and I look back and I say it's only by God. It's only Jordan, if you'll come. So what I want to press home today is one, if you feel like you're at that state where you're not spiritually alive, there's great news. The breath of God can flow into you right now. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You don't need to come up here. You don't need anything. But cry out to him. And the other thing is if in your life you're looking around and you're saying, I've got some hopeless situations. my back's against the wall. I've tried it all. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. And it seems like that each time I try, just the situation just gets worse. I've looked. I've applied. I've reached. I grabbed. But nothing is working. I want to tell you that you're in the right position in the right posture because God wants to show you who he is today. God wants to come in and move in such a way that you'll never, ever doubt his word. Nobody can convince you otherwise that he's God. Nobody can tell you that he's not who he is. No re other religion can, can, can pull you no atheist can pull you. Nobody can pull you out because you'll know who he really is. If everybody stands.